You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. One thing that I've noticed um, that I actually just discovered, you know, usually when you get a band, they put out good music and then it just starts to get worse and worse and worse. I don't know if it's because they're trying to relive their glory days and can't do it, or if it's just that they're trying to modernize and then it's like, well, that's cool. You're trying to stay relevant, but it's not you anymore because that's not your niche. It's not your genre. Something really weird, though. And I guess I never really looked at the discovery, uh, um, discography of it. But I was looking at Guns N' Roses. Huge band. But this is like the ultimate, you did it right once and then it immediately falls off. Like Metallica had a bunch of good ones. And then they had like the massive good one with their, you know, self-titled album or whatever. Some people say the other ones are better. It doesn't matter. Point is, they had several successful ones. And then it started to go downhill. GNR had Appetite for Destruction in 87. That was just, that was their big one. Lies came out. It's like, there's a couple good songs. Eh. User Illusion, couple really good songs, but eh. Then in 93, they came out with The Spaghetti Incident, and there's not a single good song on there. They're garbage. Pure garbage. 15 years later, they released Chinese Democracy. I never gave it a chance, because there's no way. 2008 Guns N' Roses is going to be putrid. Like, the worst thing ever. Dude, it's really good. I was just putting Guns N' Roses on loop, and these songs kept popping up that I hadn't heard that were pretty good. Zero of them are on Spaghetti Incident. All of them are Chinese democracy. Just saying, you know, maybe some of you are not into it, too young, not your thing. I'm just letting you know, if you're in the same camp as me, GNR fan that never gave Chinese democracy a chance, should give it a chance. Shockingly not bad. Like, a couple of those songs, putting those on loop. Like, dude, there's that song again. Like, I'm excited when the Chinese Democracy songs come up. Partially because I'm, you know, the other ones get a little old, and there's not that many songs as I'm learning. They've got, like, five albums. Anyways, my random tip of the day. Thank you guys all very much for your feedback. I did the two different surveys. What did you think about Saturday and uh, just general uh, notes and whatnot? I think the there were a couple notes that were really, really good um, in terms of, you know, some thoughts about the show. The biggest issue, I think, is going to be that the things that come up the most often come up on both sides. You don't do this enough, and then other people say you do this too much, like PFF. I got a bunch of complaints at one point about how much I use PFF, so I pulled away, and a huge pile of people complained. Like, dude, you can't do that. That's the best part of your show. So that happens with everything. So the bottom line is there's a couple tweaks. The biggest being stop being so negative. Don't worry about the, the bad fans, whatever. I got way too caught up in negative fans and it just felt like it was everywhere you know that's that's that was the my biggest issue again i confuse 10 people with thousands of people right my audience thousands of people the people i keep seeing popping up saying really negative things that get a ton of attention and keep showing up on my twitter timeline and on facebook and in my dms and and messaging me it's like 10 people but it feels like it's the whole world because you know you don't see everybody else 
And then you mix in a, a couple negative comments from some of the positive fans because, you know, you just say, like, dude, that was a bad throw or whatever. It just kind of gets overwhelming. I got too swept up in it. I apologize. We're moving on from that. Not to say I'm never going to try to give perspective, even though it probably gets old, but it's still important. Everything I do is repetitive. There's only so many things that happen on a football field, right? <laughs> At some level, we're going to repeat some stuff. Hopefully it's, you know, new information, but, you know, the same process. So that's the biggest thing uh, going forward. Everything else, if you like the show, it's it's probably not going to change all that much. If you don't like the show, I'm sorry. You did your best. You tried to reach out and, and get me to change, but it's probably not going to happen. The only other one that I can think that I probably should address is, you know, you shouldn't be quite so, I don't know, aggressive. Your rants get a little hostile. And it depends. You know, again, if it's the super negative type of ones, I'm, I told you I'm going to try to tone those back. But in general... The note was like, look, some of these people are, I guess like Gen Z is super sensitive or something. I don't know. I'm just learning what these people are about. And the comment was, and it's kind of funny, they said, you know, if you weren't born in the 80s or 90s, you probably don't understand. Like, you don't relate to that level of intensity as being humorous and like just a joke and it just comes off wrong. And you probably should try to appeal to these people. I should and I won't. It's that simple. Can't take a joke. Maybe I should try to be more like genteel and soft and sweet to the little Gen Zers or something. I can't do it. It's physically impossible. The entire point of this podcast is to come on here and just explode into the microphone. That is what I will be doing. And if there's an entire new generation coming up that is like... And I, I again, I don't know. I didn't go to school with these people. I don't know what the experiences were like. In my mind, it's like, well, they're young, they'll grow up. But, you know, maybe it's just a whole different thing. And that, that sucks, man. It means that as we go along, my audience will continue to shrink. And, you know, the people that are willing to adapt will thrive. People who say stupid stuff like, uh, that's fire and carry the G and whatever, they're just good. they're booming right now. I can't do it. I get on here and I talk about guns and roses. So, you know, I get my niche of like, you know, 28 to 40-year-olds that want to listen mostly dudes and i guess we're just gonna roll with this <laughs> you know i want to grow but on some level it just is what it is so that part of things will not change if you like the information i give you're gonna have to suffer through me being a little bit brazen because see back in the day like way long time ago like 10 years ago we used to on purpose get in groups with each other and pick on each other because we thought it was funny I don't know if that's not a thing anymore, but it used to be a thing, and it was great, and I loved it. And that's what we're going to do here. I'm going to yell at you and make fun of you, assuming on the other end you're laughing and you're going to send me a message like, no, you're stupid, and it's going to be great. And I love that. Anyways, that's the deal. I really thought I could run After Effects and do this podcast, but that was a mistake. Computer is super bogged down. Anyways, plan for today, couple news and notesy things. Otherwise, we've talked about the Lions and the Packers, so I kind of want to expand out. And I'll try not to cut it short, because apparently a lot of people are mad that my 45-minute podcast sometimes is like 30, 35 minutes. The first guy that said it I thought was just joking, but apparently like people are actually mad about that. I'm, I'm sorry, I thought it was... <laughs> whatever. You guys know this is free, right? I mean, I know you want feed... I wanted feedback, but some of the notes are a little, little entitled-ish, I think. I have a 45-minute drive to work, and you put out a 35-minute podcast. I'm not going to put up with that trash. <laughs> sorry! Just so you know, today's probably going to be a shorter day because it's Sunday and Saturday and Sunday, very few people listen anyways, and I have a ton of work to do on YouTube. 
because this is I have like three full-time jobs at this point, four if you include my family. So sometimes you get 35-minute podcasts. Sorry about that. Anyway, starting off with the injury report, it's nothing that we didn't necessarily expect with the exception of a couple of questionables. Um, we know Stepniak and Jay Sternberger are out. I guess we didn't know about Stepniak, but it doesn't matter. Uh, Darnell Savage, Malik Taylor, and EQ are all listed as questionable. Everybody else is good to go. Uh, we got to see about Darnell Savage. On the Detroit side, however, Kenny Galladay, Tyrell Crosby, and Jeff Okuda are officially out. If you listen to yesterday's podcast, um, Dosa Dion, uh, Troy was saying that he's not as worried about Tyrell Crosby. It's still, it's not great. But he's pretty confident that uh, whoever steps in will be at least as good. Questionable, you got Austin Bryant, you got Deshaun Hand. Matt Stafford and DeAndre Swift are listed here as questionable, but they're expected to play. Matt Stafford has a right thumb injury, which, you know, when your quarterback is listed as questionable with a right thumb injury, which is your throwing hand, you tend to assume this could be problematic for him. However, he's been doing pretty well recently. He's had this thumb injury since mid-November. So he's played at least two weeks with this thumb injury, so it doesn't seem to be bugging him all that much, I guess. The only real other interesting news to uh, think of that I can think of is Alan Lazard apparently is on a snap count. I don't know if that's just starting this week or what, because he uh, played quite a bit. I mean, I well, his snaps are going up since week 11. Let's put it that way. So Alan Lazard missed a bunch of time. Before he went out, he had played 68, 61, and 59 snaps. Then he was out. He comes out and plays 36 snaps. Obviously, that's quite a bit lower. Week 13, last week he had 42 snaps, which is significantly higher than 33, but still not quite 68. It's also fairly interesting when you look at the fact that you don't really notice much in terms of the, you know, I mean, the yardage did go down. The receptions really didn't, though. 4 3 6, 2 4 3. I mean, he had 4 in week 1, he had 4 in week 12, he had 3 in week 2. Two, he had three in week 13. He's playing literally half the amount of snaps right now. The yardage did go down significantly, but that's obviously that's a yards per reception thing. I guess I'm just interested in the sort of covered potential, which is kind of all over this team right now, which is exciting because you look at it and say, dude, you know, we still got us, we got AJ Dillon. Maybe that can be an extra little something something. We get double the amount of snaps from Alan Lazard. Maybe that gives us a little something. We've got a bunch of, you know, covered up potential by Kenny Clark, who has one sack this season. There's potential from Preston, who took a step back. There's uh, potential from Zadarius, who isn't quite as good as he was last year. There's potential from Rashawn, who obviously is a young ascending player. There's potential all over the place. It's just a matter of, is it going to come to fruition or is this kind of what it is? Because even as it is, it seems pretty good. I'm not complaining. I mean, a little bit I am about some of these things. It's, I mean, it, it's only things that should be better, and I think my biggest complaint is Kenny Clark. And I was talking to JJ, and apparently he and uh, Coach Hahn, or because of Coach Hahn, very vehemently disagree that, you know, he's actually doing a very good job. Again, though, my issue, regardless of, of assignment and all that stuff, the stats are not good enough. As much money as you're getting paid, if all you're doing is two-gapping and stopping runs, and you're doing the best job of that in the world, if you have one sack and 11 pressures on the season, that sucks a lot. You should not have gotten paid as much as you did for that amount of production as a pass rusher. And that's assuming everything else that I'm not seeing is going just perfect. Double teams or not, I will show you plenty of guys that beat double teams and get better stats than that. 
So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I love Kenny and I'm sure he's going to be great. But at, at the same time, you got paid a ton of money to be one of the best players on this entire defense, to be a disruptor, to be dominant, to be a force, to wreck games for our team. You simply are not doing that. And in a year when the Packers are, I mean, they're they're going for it, man. This is this is potentially the year. We don't have time to wait anymore. It's It's time to step up. Like today, like literally today, and just sort of as a milestone, so we're clear, at a bare minimum, Kenny Clark should be getting three pressures in a game. Don't have to get a sack, because a sack a game would be, you know, 16 in a season, which is uh, unreasonable. But at, at a minimum, a half a sack a game, and he hasn't had a sack since week 11, so he's due one, which was his only sack of the season. And again, I'm leaving aside the fact that, that he's gotten a terrible run defense grade the last two weeks in a row and just assuming PFF is wrong. I I don't even care right now. It's a separate issue. I'm not worried about that. What would be really nice, forget we can't stop the run. Okay, that sucks. Too bad. I would like to try to inch back to what we had last year in terms of pass rush, which was one of the most dominant, I think it might have been the most dominant pass rush unit in the NFL. Now, the good news is we are technically inching back to that, and part of that is because of Kenny Clark. Not necessarily because he's doing such a great job, but because he went from doing literally nothing to he's kind of getting there. What I mean by literally nothing is in his first, let's see, one, two, three, four, five games, he had four games with zero pressures. Four out of his first five games, he had zero pressures. Now, to be fair, he wasn't used to press, uh, rush the passer all that. And here's the other thing that I'll say. And this is what I mentioned to JJ as well. If this is If he's executing the scheme properly and he's not necessarily doing anything wrong, the scheme is broken. That is to say, and this is the one caveat I'll give, and, and we listen, Zadarius doesn't seem happy with the defensive coordinator. I've talked about the rift a little bit. If we paid Kenny Clark this much money, and he's being used in a way that makes him less efficient as a pass rusher, I want Mike Pettin fired today. I mean, maybe finish out the game, but that's, that is the most wildly unacceptable thing in the history of the universe. So the numbers after that, he has had a pressure in every single game. Now, the, the, the other thing is the snap counts have gone up as a pass rusher. I mean, overall, they've gone up, but he's also being used as a pass rusher more. In three of those five games that I mentioned, he was listed as a nose tackle and spent a lot of time, disproportionate amount of time, for example, against Minnesota. Um, 32 of his 46 snaps were against the run. If you look at uh, this past week, for example, 13 times it was against the run, 31 as a pass rusher. I understand the run is the bigger issue in terms of not being very good. I would like Kenny Clark to be used as a pass rusher because he's pretty good at it. At least he's supposed to be. Bottom line, whatever the issue is, it needs to be fixed. Kenny Clark is too good for this. If it's a scheme issue, if it's a motivation issue, if he needs help, if, if it, what, I don't care what it is. Kenny Clark getting to the quarterback is a priority. Find a way to make that happen. But again, his uh, pressures in the last four games, one, four, four, and two, two of those games, in which he had four, were over 10%. One of them is right at about 10%. Two of them were under. Overall, in the last four weeks, he's had about an 8% pressure rate, which, again, is still not very good, but it's trending in the right direction. And evidence of the entire unit trending in the right direction is the fact that PFF put out um, the pressure rate in the first six games for the Packers was 23.5, the last six games 30.4. Now, that's still not good. If you think about you've got Rashawn, you got Preston, you got Kenny, you got all these guys. 
if their pressure rates were at 10%, and granted there's some overlap, so it's not going to be perfect, but you figure about 40%, if everybody's just kind of average, they're at 30% right now. If you want further clarification on that, somebody asked the questions and PFF responded. First question, where do both of these rank in the entire league? In the first six games, the Packers ranked 30th. The last six games, the Packers ranked 20th, which is to say they're still way below average. That might be a slight exaggeration to say way, but you know what? 20th is not good enough. Again, number one pass rush unit in the NFL last year is now 20th, which is up from 30th. That's BS. And again, it's, it's, it's even more upsetting because the Packers are legitimate Super Bowl contenders, because this is one of the best offenses we've seen ever, ever as Green Bay Packer fans. And the defense, especially the pass rush, which was elite last year, is like, Nyeh. So Darius ain't getting it done, Preston ain't getting it done, Rashawn's not getting it done, Kenny's not getting it done. They're all getting pouty, they're getting whiny, they're complaining about the coach. I don't know who the problem is. I don't know if it's Petten, I don't know if it's the players, I don't know if it's that we don't have fans in the stands cheering. I don't care. Fix it. League average right now is 31.2. Last year, Zadarius was in the lead for pressures, absolutely dominating. This year right now, Zadarius is 15th. He has 40. TJ Watt has 64. Shaquille Barrett has 60. So, I mean, it's it's just it's just a big gap. And again, we are trending in the right direction. There's some positive signs. Hopefully they're starting to figure stuff out. I don't really know, but everybody has to do better. And that 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 to me, the reason I'm hammering it so hard is I think that's one of the biggest things we can do to turn everything around and uh, turn it around to to improve the team. Again, I know there's other issues, you know, stopping the run and all that stuff, whatever. Again, it's just it's just about uncovering potential. And when you look at guys like Alan Lazard and you say, well, there's more potential there because he's been injured and he's about to get more snaps, that's awesome. That's exciting. When you look at A.J. Dillon and say, hey, you know, I don't know if it's going to be this year or what, but there's a whole big pile of potential. It's like, that's awesome. When you look at potential that has no reason to not be hitting its potential and it's just not for some reason, it just gets a little frustrating. That's all I'm saying. I thought you said the defense. It is. I mean, the, the, the points and everything are fine. And it's hard to get mad at Mike Patton when whatever he's doing seems to be doing a good job of keeping the points low. That's cool. Still, <laughs> I just I just kind of wish it was at least a little bit. I mean, if you want to drop from first overall to 10th overall, okay. But first to 20th, dude, come on. And that's the last six weeks. That's not average. It's not like, well, they maybe they've been number five overall, and now they're just at... No, no, no. Last six games, they're 20th. The last time we played the Lions, and, and this is an area where we can massively improve. Not that I necessarily need any improvement. If we can do what we did last time, I'm happy with that. 13 total pressures in that game. The only guy who did anything as a pass rusher was Rashawn Gary, who had four pressures. That's it. I mean, Preston was had two. Zadarius had two. Kingsley had one. Dean had one. Then you had Vernon Scott, Chris Barnes, and Will Redmond with pressures. That's it. That's the whole thing. Rashawn Gary was the only guy that did hardly anything. I mean, Preston was, was decent, I guess. He was at 10%. He only had 20 attempts. I mean, for most of these guys, three was kind of the benchmark. Four was the benchmark for Zadarius. He got two because he had 34 attempts. You like to see three from Preston or, you know, two to three, I guess, is fine. Three for Rashawn. He got four and two sacks. Now, there were five sacks in this game, so everybody's super excited, but it's just because everybody, when they got to the quarterback, got him down. But the fact of the matter is almost never did they get to the quarterback last time we saw them. So that stat is massively misleading. Again, an area that can massively improve. Because there's no reason for it. They're talented enough. And uh, let's just say it's going to happen, and I'm excited about that. Anyways, let's just say that's the big milestone for me. I talked about how 
it's not even about wins and losses. It's about health and it's about growth. Obviously, if you lose to the Lions, you're regressing in some area. That's not great. But there's certain things we know and there's certain mile markers we like to hit. And there's some real easy, low-hanging fruit mile markers sitting out there. And I think pass rush is the biggest one. And man, if that thing can click on, everybody in the playoffs is in trouble. Bottom line. Flat out. So we'll see how that goes. Anyways, let's take a break, and then I want to take a a more long-term look. We'll see what games are going on today and uh, what some of the implications for the future may mean. So the first game, obviously, the noon game is going to be the Minnesota Vikings and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, No question we want to try to keep Tampa Bay down, but they're so far behind us right now. And also, I want to look at something. The, The biggest competitor we have right now, outside of the guys in the NFC North, is going to be the Saints. Well, Saints and the Rams, I guess. But the Saints currently are ahead of us, and they need to lose more games than we do. The Saints, and we'll, we'll get to their games coming up here, but after this week they have the Chiefs, which could be a loss, and then after that is the Vikings. I'm probably going to be rooting for the Vikings in that game. However, there's a chance, still, it's, it's relatively unlikely, but it's, there's a small chance that the Vikings end up winning the division, or really any of them, if the Packers start to fall off or whatever. So if they lose today to Tampa, and they fall to 6-7, and seven, and let's say they beat the Bears the week after that and they're 7-7, seven and seven, I'm okay with them beating the Saints and being 8-7, and seven, because that means the best they're going to be is 8-8. Eight and eight. Packers already have 9 wins. I mean, to be fair, if they win out the rest of the season, they only have 10 wins, so we only need to win two to, to beat that. But still, there, there's a there's a hint of nervousness, and for that reason, I'm, I'm rooting again. I mean, it seems somewhat self-explanatory, but from a strategy standpoint, you could make an argument for wanting the Vikings to beat the Buccaneers, to kind of beat them down. Plus, the Buccaneers are a playoff team. You don't really want to see them doing well. So, you know, I, I, to some level, I'll be happy if the Vikings win, but at the same time, I won't. Plus... Even if the Vi- if the Vikings win and we still win the division, the Vikings are still going to end up probably being in the playoffs. If they beat the Buccaneers and the Bears, even if they lose to the Saints and they beat the Lions, nine-win team, the way the playoffs are structured now, that might be good enough. And I don't really know that I want to face a white-hot Vikings team. Um, the negative, again, being that the Buccaneers, they, I mean, they got a pretty easy schedule. The Vikings are going to be the hardest game. they got the Falcons, the Lions, and then the Falcons again after that. But, I mean, we already assume they're going to be in the playoffs. And so if they win out, they're an 11-win team. I still don't see them as a massive threat. I mean, if the Packers don't get to or surpass, they'd have to surpass, I guess, 11 team, 11 wins. We've got bigger issues. I mean, if we go 2-2 two and two out of the stretch, that's not great. Um, Arizona and the Giants are not all that interesting, other than somewhat interested in who wins the <laughs> NFC East. Uh, Arizona was seen as somewhat of a threat at one point, but that clearly has fallen off over time. They've lost three in a row. They've lost four, uh, three of their, four of their last five. It's been somewhat of a rough stretch, but in reality, I just think they've beaten garbage teams. And I, I've, I've been saying for a while, I don't really understand the hype behind Arizona. I said that at the start of the season. Uh, they beat San Francisco, which is not that big of a feat. They beat Washington. They lost to the Lions and the Panthers, which is pathetic. They beat the Jets. They beat Dallas. They barely beat Seattle in overtime. Then they lost to the Dolphins, beat the Bills, which is maybe their only impressive win of the season, outside of, I guess, Seattle. And then they lost to Seattle, and then lost to the Patriots, and now lost to the Rams, and lost handily to the Rams. So they've got a pretty easy matchup against the Giants, which is the one thing they seem to be able to do, although the Giants seem to be turning things around. So if you're 
100% betting on the uh, the Cardinals winning. I would kind of reel that back in. They got the Eagles, which is another relatively easy win. The 49ers, who are not a very good team, and then the Rams, which is going to be another loss. So, I mean, they could feasibly, because of the how easy the schedule is, go three and one. They could also, you know, not do that. So again, I the, could they be in the playoffs? Sure. Am I afraid of them? Not really. Other than the fact that they have a mobile quarterback, which always scares me. No. Serious question, though, could the Giants be a threat? The Giants have won four in a row. Granted, three of them were against the Bengals, the Eagles, and uh, Washington. And their only other win was also against Washington. But they did just beat Seattle. And they could possibly beat Arizona. And they're probably going to beat Dallas. The, the, The weird thing about the Giants... And they have a lot of issues, there's no question about that, but I do think that they're underrated, and I, I, I tend to think they're underperforming for some of the talent that they have. The offensive line is is one of the more interesting aspects of it because they've invested a lot in it because they have a early first-round running back that's very talented, and that makes sense. But all those guys have been playing terribly. Um, the interesting part about it is they have been starting to play a little bit better after um, firing their offensive line coach. So if the offensive line gets better, one of the the things that's really not known, and again, I'm leaning on PFF here, but the Giants quarterback is basically a laughingstock around the league. The interesting thing is, he's actually not bad. He has all the fumbles, but as a thrower of the football, he's, I think, the highest graded of that entire draft class. He's got the exact same grade as Kyler Murray. Obviously, Kyler has a better running grade. Actually, I think it's kind of similar. It's not as disparate as you'd think, but still... There's two quarterbacks in that entire class that are any good, and it's um, Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones. So they got the quarterback. Let's say they improve the offensive line. Saquon is obviously out, which is which is a pain. But I just, you know, it's one of those things where th- they don't have enough to win the Super Bowl. Do they have enough to get into the playoffs and play spoiler? I mean, a- any team can, but I, they, they just seem like a team that's shaping up to not be as much of a, an easy automatic win as, as they might seem to be. So that'll be an interesting game for that reason, because although I think both teams are pretty bad, they're both potentially playoff teams. They both potentially are big-time spoiler alert type teams. And so how this plays out, um, because I mean, really, they're two teams that are trying to prove to the world they're not horrible, right? The the Cardinals are coming from completely opposite side as the Giants. The Cardinals, everybody assumes are really good, and they've lost a bunch of games, and they've really only beat pretty bad teams with the exception of a couple in their own division. And are trying to prove, hey, you know, we, we can still dominate. The Giants, everyone's laughing at because they only beat bad teams, but they're on a winning streak. And they're trying to prove, hey, we can beat quality opponents. So that'll be interesting. The Kansas City Chiefs-Miami Dolphins, of course, is interesting because I want the Chiefs to lose forever. Now, the only reason that would make me nervous is I'm relying on the Chiefs to beat the Saints. So I want the Chiefs to be tip-top shape. But, man, you just you love to see just just some weakness. And Miami is a fantastic—they always have been a fantastic team of only beating really good teams. I mean, that's not necessarily what they are anymore. They're they're kind of fighting their way to legitimacy. But back in the day, it's like, yeah, we're we're probably only going to beat like Seattle and New England, and otherwise, we're just going to lose all our games. So that'll be a fun one to watch. Hopefully, it's at least somewhat competitive. And and plus, you just want to put as much tape of bad Chiefs on as possible. Whether it's good teams, bad teams, mediocre teams, if they find a weakness with Kansas City and exploit it, win, lose, or draw, that's a benefit. Tennessee, Jacksonville, we got to play Tennessee. So you just similarly. I mean, I'm not necessarily expecting Jacksonville to win, but again, if they can at least keep it close and exploit a couple things here and there, a couple weaknesses, anything, um, I'll take it. Dallas-Cincinnati is just not worth watching. 
I mean, technically Dallas could be a playoff team, but I'm I'm not even remotely afraid of them at all. Horrific defense, seventh string quarterback at this point. I think I'm not sure. Offensive line is imploding. It's just it's just a mess. So that is just bottom of the barrel trash football. Um, Houston, Chicago, go Texans. They got no reason to root against the Texans whatsoever. They don't even have a first round pick. So even if they wanted to tank, I mean, you're tanking for an early second. That's kind of dumb. Um, Miami's got their pick, so unless you're trying to help them out, just win games, man. So, hoping for that. Um, I mean, it, granted, it would be nice It would be nice if everybody in the NFC North was out except the Packers, but if I had to pick a team to be in, it would probably be the Bears. There's still a, a, a shred of fear about the Detroit Lions because they always kind of play us tough, at least historically, not week two. And Minnesota obviously just terrifies me because they've obviously got the tools to get the job done. Chicago is just such a mess right now. So, I'm just hoping Houston wins because I don't like the Bears, simple enough. Denver, Carolina, basically no impact whatsoever on anything. Jets, Seattle is extremely interesting to me. I'm not saying I think the Jets are going to win. I am saying we saw something pretty crazy in which the Steelers' first loss came against Washington. It's not impossible the Jets' first win comes against Seattle. been saying for a while Seattle seems to be in implosion mode. It's not all bad. It's not all horrible. They're still going to win a bunch of games. They still have talent. But for some reason, they're a team that gets off to it. They're like the opposite of the Patriots. The Patriots, in all those years, not, not maybe not all the years, but at least toward the end, they would always start off slow. We would all laugh and say, ha-ha, your dynasty's finally over, you bunch of losers. And then they would pick it up, and then they'd basically go undefeated and win the Super Bowl. You know, starting in like week 10, they just didn't lose anymore. They were a powerhouse in the playoffs. They won the Super Bowl. End of story. Seahawks are almost the opposite. I start off the season saying, I think they're done. I think they're just cooked. They keep losing talent. You can't just keep purging talent without adding talent. Um, DK is a good pickup, but it's just not going well. And they just get off white hot. And it's like, man, they just keep finding a way to win. You know, good call on DK. And, and you got a great quarterback and a coach. And just, you got something special there. And then toward the end of the season, it's just, yeah. I mean, I mean, look at the Packers-Seahawks playoff last year. That wasn't really even a competition. The Seahawks looked anemic. The Packers were clearly the better team in that game. I know it was, it was closer than I'm making it sound, but just in terms of the talent level on the field, the Packers just from from the first snap felt like a more competent team, and Seattle just did not feel ready to go. And so again, you're looking at a team that went undefeated the first five weeks of the season before their bye. Since their bye, they're four and or they're three and four, three and four. They've beat three teams that aren't very good. The 49ers the Cardinals and the Eagles. They also lost to the Cardinals, who are, again, mediocre at best. They lost to the Bills, who are a good team. Lost to the Rams, who are a good team. And then just lost to the Giants. So when you're 4-3, and three, in other words, you're below 500 since your bye week, and that below 500 came because you lost to the Giants, there's some pretty serious problems here. Now, they got the Jets, and they got Washington, and they also got the 49ers at the end of the season. There's no reason they shouldn't win three of their next four if you drop to the Rams. But it just feels like there's another loss in there somewhere, whether it's the 49ers, the Washington football team, or the Jets. And I don't know, man. I just, I don't know. They put up 12 points against the Giants. And that was at home. It's not like, well, that was on the road and this time the Jets had. No, no, no. They were at home. The Giants flew all the way from New York to Seattle. Horrible thing to have to do to fly across the country. Historically, it's it's not good for teams that have to do that. And they lost. So interesting to watch now i i tend if i if you told me make a prediction right now i'd say it's probably going to be like i th- eh. see i want to say like 35 to 10 
But they haven't gotten to 30 points since week nine against Buffalo. The offense, what is going on with the offense? See, and here, here's the other thing. The defense has gotten a lot better for Seattle. If you look at the scores on defense, 25, 30, 31, 23, 26, 37, 27, 44. Since then, 23, 21, 17, 17. Look at how the offense started the season. 38, 35, 38, 31, 27, 34, 37, 34. In that whole stretch, the only time they didn't reach 30 was 27 against the Vikings. Since then, 16, 28, 23, 12. Yikes. So the offense is clearly the problem here, which is the entire strength of this team right now because the defense has completely fallen off. I mean, I know they're doing better, as I said, but I mean, in terms of talent, it's all on offense. So it'll be interesting. I don't know. Again, if I had to guess, I would say the Seahawks get really angry that they fell. They got a, you know, a serious wake-up call that this isn't good enough. And the amount of firepower that they have, if they get fired up, I tend to think they're going to annihilate a super jet lag Jets team that has given up on the season. But again, keep your eyes on it. Uh, Colts Raiders doesn't really matter all that much. Don't really care. Not that it's going to be a bad game. I think it's an interesting game. There's a lot of implications in terms of direction of the team, right? The Colts are trying to hang on to being a good team, although it's kind of worrisome, some things. And, you know, what's, you know, it's just it's certain dynamics are interesting from an NFL fan standpoint. From a Packer standpoint, it is wholly irrelevant. Uh, Washington, San Francisco, very similar, entirely irrelevant. Uh, San Francisco, I don't think either of the team. well, Washington has a chance to obviously get into the playoff. I am... I think less concerned about Washington than the Giants because Washington has such a bad offense. So if I'm being honest, I probably want Washington to win this game because I want Washington in the playoffs on the off chance that we end up matching up against them, which I couldn't I shouldn't say is the off chance, right? I mean if if we're if we don't make the number 1 seed, there's a good chance we're the number 2 seed, which means we oh no, they wouldn't be they wouldn't be the lowest seed because they won their division. So we wouldn't face them unless they won and then faced us after whatever i still want washington in i want to pick the worst teams possible in the playoffs and i think washington is is less scary than the giants i'm not going to say they're worse they're less scary to me uh philadelphia in the saints obviously is a massive game very low probability that that philadelphia pulls it off although not impossible uh drew Brees is still out so if there's going to be some kind of a fluke it's got to happen I don't know when he's coming back. It, it's it's always kind of teetering on the it could be next week, it could be next week, it could be next week kind of thing. You know, he could be ready to go. But again, 12, what do you have, like 12 broken ribs? I'm, I'm just, I'm hoping that the Saints are just playing games. Like he's going to be out until like midway through the, the playoffs or something at, at least. And they're just like, well, I mean, he's close, just, you know, whatever. So that you have to halfway prepare for Drew. I don't know, who knows? But, I, I, you know, it's it's not impossible. The Saints are playing incredibly good football. However, offensively, it's not up to their standards. It's actually very similar. I mean, it's the defense, this unbelievably dominant defense that's been carrying the team, although they've been facing garbage uh, teams for the most part, although they annihilated Tampa. But uh, looking back at, uh, let's say, the last four weeks, now the defense has given up 13, 9, 3, and 16. That's just disgusting. Offensively, 27, 24, 31 against Denver, and 21 against Atlanta. And we're talking about Atlanta, Atlanta, and the 49ers, and, and Denver. So 49ers, Falcons, Broncos, Falcons. Just garbage. And the offense obviously hasn't been able to muster all that much. I do th- tend to think that Philadelphia is going to be the stiffer defensive challenge, not necessarily from the corners, but at least there's a little bit of a pass rush. I don't think any of the other four teams had that at all. The biggest issue here is going to be, is Philadelphia going to be able to overcome the Saints defense, which has just been, I mean, it's the number one defense clearly in the last five weeks. I would be stunned if there's a better defense the last five weeks. You know, They're ranked number five overall right now, and they started the season giving up 23, 34, 37, 29, 27. 
and they're fifth overall right now because since the bye week, 24 points is the worst week they've had. Again, they haven't faced anybody but the Buck, and that game was clearly the Bucks just cashed it in because it was 38-3. to Otherwise, they faced the Panthers, the Bears, the 49ers, Falcons, Broncos, Falcons. They've got the Eagles, which are another garbage team. But then they get Chiefs-Vikings, which are clearly going to be the hardest teams outside of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But again, 38-3 is ridiculous. I mean, it was 27-13 against the 49ers. Are we saying the 49ers are better than the Bucs? Are we saying the Bucs cashed it in in that game? I think it's pretty obvious what happened. Makes a lot stupid Tampa. But I don't know. I mean, it's just it's it's one of those things we're watching the Packer game and just, just kind of glance over. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe it'll be a 17-15 game. I You know, I don't know. Falcons-Chargers couldn't care less. Packers-Lions, um, I believe, has some implications. Pittsburgh-Buffalo is a, another one that's kind of big for NFL fan standpoint. It's a fun game. Do I have a horse in the race? Not really. Again, it's, it's really just learning what the teams are as we move forward and kind of building up the narrative of what they are, what they're becoming. Um, the, the biggest narrative buster the Chiefs are looking for is our offense isn't as bad as everybody's saying, right? That's the whole thing. Our defense is dominant, but our offense is trash, and the defense is going to have to carry the offense and all that stuff, and, you know, they're going to have to try to bust that. The, the Bills are the exact opposite team, which is weird because they've been such a good defensive team for so long. They're all offense and no defense. Uh, Baltimore-Cleveland is shockingly interesting simply from the standpoint of I cannot believe it is a 9-3 and Browns team going up against a 7-5 and Baltimore Ravens team. That's just hilarious to me. And kind of for that reason, it's super interesting because we might be watching, first of all, the rapid demise of the Raven. And I know Lamar's been out for a little while, whatever, but I mean, they were like the hot item for, what, a year and are already third in their own division. And then what in the world are the Cleveland Browns? I have no idea. One of the most volatile teams in the NFL. So again, there's there's a lot of interesting games. There's a handful of games that really matter. Again, the Saints are really, really big, but it's unlikely that they, they fall. Tampa Bay, Minnesota matters slightly less because I think either way it ends up the same. Tampa Bay is going to be in the playoffs. The Vikings, you know, they're not going to be able to overtake us. Will they get in the playoffs? Maybe. Um, but I, I think outside of the Packers, that's the one I'm keeping my eyes on the most and uh, rooting for Tampa as much as that's going to make me kind of sick. So anyways, that's all I got. I got to get going. I'm, I'm way too late getting my YouTube stuff going here. But anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. Go Pack Go, and I will talk to you tomorrow for Victory Monday.